Happy Saturday! It is May 30th, 2020. I received an email from Mark Randall, the author of the Lost Book of Tennis Leviticus. On his email, he sent me an article of what he wrote regarding a guy named Bob Sherman. I asked Garrett McCampbell to read his article. Thank you, Garrett, for reading. And thank you, Mark, for sending me an email. I'm sure Bob Sherman is smiling in heaven. What an incredible honor and tribute you have written about him. Thank you. Here is Garrett reading Mark Randall's article. Enjoy. Bob Sherman by Mark Randall In the summer before I started high school, I chanced upon a tennis player who would forever represent for me a kind of tennis ideal. Long after I'd forgotten his name and moved on to other things, I realized when playing tennis again in my thirties that I'd never forgotten the impression he made on me. He lay there still in my subconscious as a kind of model. It was not so much his game that struck me, though his game was very good. It was his attitude on the court. He was able to compete without seeming to compete. He tried hard, but his ongoing monologue was one of good humor and self-deprecation and compliments for his foe. There was no game face, there were no fist pumps, and no arguments. He simply enjoyed the game, and the crowd enjoyed him, and he won. His name, I later learned again, was Bob Sherman. The year I met him was 1965, when my tennis center in Pittsburgh hosted the men's 45-year-old clay court national championship. My pals and I were enlisted as ball boys. I can't recall how many matches I worked as a ball boy, but I recall the spectators being increasingly taken by this tall, funny Californian who drove all the way to Pittsburgh from Santa Barbara in his little two-seater sports car. The final was between Sherman and Brian Grant, nicknamed Bitsy for his short stature. Grant was a highly rated player in his earlier years, played Wimbledon and on Davis Cup teams, and is now 
in the Tennis Hall of Fame. In addition, he held numerous national titles on the senior circuit. Sherman, by contrast, was relatively unknown. A former basketball player, he had come to tennis only in his thirties and had never won a national. I do not recall many details of that final, or even the score, though I remember it being hard fought and close. What comes back to me vividly is Sherman's funny manner. He would call himself an idiot when missing a shot, not angrily, but in a good-natured way that made the gallery laugh. And whenever Grant hit a winner, Sherman would call out, Great shot, Bitsy! So often and distinctively did he say that, with a sort of very long vowel sound. Great shot, Bitsy! My friends and I would adopt the phrase and use it ourselves when playing. Never mind that none of us was called Bitsy. Sherman's winning the tournament impressed me with the idea that it is possible to compete without showing one's ego, to win without preening or insolence. It is perhaps an unrealistic model. Certainly, it is a goal not shared by almost every professional player, most of whom take great pains to do just the opposite that is, to signal their ferocity and seriousness of purpose. There still exists in tennis a level of graciousness after matches, which is heartening, but no one to my mind strives for that lovely, affable insouciance that Sherman seemed to possess while actually playing. Of course, it may have been simply a stratagem for Sherman, his own peculiar way to keep his equanimity and maintain his focus. One could not attain his level of success without an ego and a fierce sense of competition. Granting that, it still struck me at the time as an appealing way to behave and ultimately more entertaining for fans than the usual macho clash. The football coach, Joe Paterno, was said to instruct his players that when they reached the end zone, they should not prance about but act as though they'd been there before. Similarly, it can be disarmingly classy and therefore strategically shrewd to play the game with a slight air of bemused indifference. To play, that is, under a pretense of simple fun. I still wonder why more players do not strive to appear carefree and relaxed in Sherman's mold, but cling instead to an intense alpha male or alpha female approach. The win that day marked Sherman's first gold ball, his first national championship. Decades later, I was trying to remember Sherman's name. 
I couldn't remember his, but I remembered Bitsy's. And so with the help of the internet, I tracked down Bob Sherman. Not only was I surprised that he was still alive and playing in his 90s, it turns out, starting at age 45, mind you, he had gone on to win more gold balls than anyone, an astounding 125 of them. I emailed him and told him I was a ball boy for that first one, and that after all these years, he had struck in my memory as someone to emulate. Since that tournament was his first national victory, he remembered it well. He invited me out to Santa Barbara to hit with him. I never got to do it, unfortunately. He died at the age of 97 in 2016. He is gone, but now, 55 years after, I fetched a ball for him. He lives on in the back of my brain, a paragon of the graceful and affable competitor.